<laughs> okay. All right, so if you'll join me on the screen um, for the verses this morning. Revelation 21, 1 through 6. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And then into the back of a few chapter or a few books, back to Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day I got in, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went out and awoke him and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Hi, good morning. So uh, because the men are gone, we have the privilege of a guest speaker tonight. And uh, I get to introduce him because um, I've known him for a long time. And he is my boss. Um, as you know, Brian Kelly did work for many years at Calvary Christian School. And his wife, Karen, still works there. And I work there as well. And uh, Dave is our uh, assistant head of the school. His name is David Ludwig. Uh, Malibu local, born, uh, born here? Raised, raised here. Family just still lives just right up the hill at Malibu Park. And so he's uh, very familiar with Malibu. Um, Dave is uh, an amazing man. Um, it's an honor to work for him. Um, and he's an amazing father, well, husband, and a very uh, God-loving man. So I think really we're all in for a treat because uh, Dave's going to bring it like it is. And it's, 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 gonna, it's awesome. So I'm uh, honored to be able to introduce to you Dave Ludwig. So uh, why don't you go ahead and come up here, and then I'll pray for all of us, and we'll get this party going. I get to teach his kids, too. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you brought uh, Dave here to fill in for Brian Kelly. And uh, Lord, just uh, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would just flow through him. Lord, that you give him the words that should be spoken to us. And Lord, help us to have uh, ears to hear the word that you want um, for us today. And uh, I just uh, bless his whole family. They're an uh, amazing family. And 
he has a, an amazing wife and uh, we just want to commit this next whatever half hour or so to you so help us to um, spend time and just dive deep into you and use use our friend Dave here in Jesus name amen thanks so much well before I go anywhere and say anything else I think I want to correct one thing Karen said because if you know Karen Renner nobody's really her boss <laughs> Karen and I have the privilege of working together at Calvary along with uh, Brian's like, yep, that's right. Uh, we have the privilege of working together at Calvary Christian School, working with young people. Um, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing opportunity we get every day. Um, and just uh, thank you guys for, for welcoming us. This is such a sweet, sweet place. Brian's one of my very closest friends. Um, it's sad to me I, when I come here, it's been when he's gone. But um, I do, and we miss him because, he, as you guys probably know, he's not teaching there anymore. Um, because he's dedicated his time to you people, I'm just kidding, um, and to what he feels God has called, called him to. So we're excited for him, but we, we miss him there because his presence, as you guys know, is, is missed. So a couple of scriptures that we went over today um, that were read and probably wondering what their connection is. And I think what we want to look at today, obviously we know the word of God is ultimately connected. It is God's word from start to finish. It's, a, it's an amazing story of the love of God, the grace of God. And, and so as you read Revelation, as you see the book of Revelation is the first kind of verse and scripture text I, I come to. I will um, say I'm not teaching an end time sermon today, which is great because I don't really want to preach, preach an end time sermon. But I do feel like there's this portion of Revelation that speaks to the character of God. And one of the things that I think is paramount to our worship of God and our walking through this life, um, whether you're young or old, um, rich or poor, um, smart or not smart, <laughs> knowing, yeah, smartest, um, not smartest, um, knowing God's character, having solid theology of who God is um, and what the word reveals about his character is paramount to our joy, to us experiencing joy. God would have us live a life of joy, a life filled with peace. And I think as we, as we encounter people in our lives, as we encounter situations in our lives, that's knowing that that's what God would have for us. Um, but it comes through knowing who he is and his character. And I, and I want to focus a little bit today mostly on this idea of the activity of God in our lives, that God, um, no matter what season we're in, is consistently and constantly active in our lives. And I love this text in Revelation 21, verse 5, where he says, Behold, I am making all things new. It's not that he's waiting till the end of days to make things new, and, and he's going to respond to all the difficulties and challenges of life, and, and all the, the, the world going all the way down, and, and things falling apart. And he's, then at that moment, he's going to suddenly like enter the scene. I'm here now. I've been gone, but I'm here. No, God is actively making all things new, which means in your life, in my life, God is consistently at work. No matter if we're hearing him clearly or if we feel like he's far from us, he's consistently moving and at work in our lives. See, there are seasons. We know this. There's a season for everything. There's seasons where we feel like it is, it's tangible, right? We get, 
We, get, we come here, maybe it's the start of a new year or whether, whatever it might be, but you feel God's presence. You see doors opening in front of you. Prayers are answered as you're speaking them. The presence of God, you can feel it's palpable. Those are sweet seasons, but those don't always last because there are other seasons where we feel God is silent. We pray and it feels like we're just pounding the sand. Our emotions weigh on us. Our hearts are sick. Fear and worry feel like they're washing over us ceaselessly where we get up in the morning and it feels like it hits us the moment we wake up. We wonder where God is. We wonder if his promises have faded or worse, have we disqualified ourselves sometimes? This, this palpable, these feelings are real. These seasons are real. This is the reality in which we live. And all through the Bible we see this. Just read the Psalms. Psalm ch chapter 10, verse 1. David most likely wrote this psalm. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. See, this is the same guy, the same man saying two very different things. You're far, you're near, you're close, you're not close. Where are you? I see you. This is, this is our reality as followers of Christ in which we live. And we have to come back to the same notion each and every time that God is constantly active. He's consistently making things new. When you don't hear him, he is active just as much as when you do. This is what the psalmist is saying. God does not change. Moses knows this, right? He learned this. He is who he is. It is our battle it is us who change. It is our flesh that palpably feels God is either right there or thousands of miles away. But God allows for this. He allows for these seasons. He opens these seasons up for us. In Acts 17, Paul talks about this idea of God setting our allotted periods and dwelling places. And he says that we should seek God and perhaps feel our way toward him though he's, though he's not far from us. This idea of, another text uses the word groping. It's as if you're in the dark looking for him. God is calling us when we're in these seasons to seek him. See, there are just times where you don't, you don't understand what's going on. You don't know why it's happening. Maybe it's a season where you just feel like it's just, you're just kind of bored. Or maybe it's a season where you're just kind of down. I used to work, before I became a teacher, I worked at Mattel Toys. And that sounds pretty exciting because it's a toy company. I mean, what could be better than being at a toy company? It's toys. Everyone likes toys. I mean, even I, when I play with my kids, I like playing Legos. It's fun. Toys are fun. Well, I worked in a department called Consumer Relations. That's not fun. <laughs> Consumers, we're not fun. It could be boring. It could be mundane. I had a cubicle. I hate cubicles. I know, I'm sorry, I don't like cubicles. That's why I teach. You don't have to be in a cubicle. I like that. One day I'm working at Mattel, and they come and they say, okay, Dave, I got a new job. We have these little girls who are writing letters to Barbie. And guess what? We need you to write them back as Barbie. Okay, so if you're, okay, if you're a 25-year-old guy and you're writing letters to little girls pretending to be Barbie, you have some problems in your life and you probably should check and see what's going on. 
If, you're, if your daily activity is, me and Skipper love the beach. I think, is it Skipper? I can't even remember. I think it's Skipper. Come on, girls, you played with Barbies, okay? Come on. Boys are like. I was, in that season of my life, I was, I, I admit, I, I was wondering. I was questioning. I was down. What's my purpose? This can't be it. I'm sure my wife was going, what's his purpose? This can't be it. <laughs> but over time, I discovered that I loved working with young people, not writing letters to Barbie, but working with them in other ways. And then God, through the counsel of my wife, encouraged me to get my credential, ultimately getting into education where I belong and where I love to be. And I ended up at Calvary. But even at Calvary, for years... I don't know if you guys have figured this out, because many of you live probably in dorms, but this isn't the most inexpensive place to live. Um, this, is a, a, this is a place that's kind of difficult to find. Um, quality housing as a working man and as an educator even more so. So for about for 12 years, I commuted to Calvary, which is over in Pacific Palisades, just off of Sunset and Palisades Drive, from Torrance. Torrance is down in the South Bay, past the airport, way past the airport. And I... Drove because I loved working there. I loved the school, and God had me there. And my family, we were fine. We worked. We were. We were enjoying living there. But my feeling always was, I would one day, um, a door would open down in the South Bay. I would end up walking into that door, and I would say goodbye to Calvary, which I never wanted to do. I mean, I work with Renner. Everyone's like, really? Oh, I know. I work with. Renner. I love working with Renner, Karen, and everyone. I love the school. Love what we're doing there. But somehow, God. So he blows my mind, he opens up doors, and I end up getting to move my family up there last year. Now we live up there um, through the help of a, of a wonderful church community up there and school, and my kids can go to my school with me, which is good and bad, mostly good, right? The kids are like, yes, yes, good and bad. But here's the thing. When I'm sitting on that 405 freeway, 405, have you guys been on the 405 freeway? Come on, guys. You've been on the 405 freeway. It's the worst freeway on earth, I am convinced. Maybe like there's one in India that's worse, but 405 freeway is the worst place in the world. It does not always feel like God is moving powerfully in your life and working on your behalf, that he's actively involved in your life when you're sitting in bumper-to-bumper bumper bumper traffic, desperately trying to keep from killing people. Road rage is real, especially on the 405. See, I was thankful for my job. I was thankful for the life I had, but I struggled. Just like I struggled in that cubicle at Mattel. But then as things unfolded and I looked over that time, I realized, you know, that time at Mattel gave me this renewed opportunity to invest in a church community where I got into youth ministry. And in youth ministry is where I discovered my passion for working with students. And out of that became my career and the thing I love most of my life, working with students. See, it would not necessarily have occurred had the things, the doors I was dying for to open. All, every day, you guys probably experience this. People are telling me, we tell, we got, oh, we're going to have an opening in the creative department. In the game. They wanted me to be in the games department. I was going to like work on games, and games are fun. And I was like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. And door would close, door would close, door would close. But then I realized in that time, looking back, that God had a purpose in that season for me to develop this love for what I'm truly called to. And on the 405 freeway, I realized, looking back, what are the things I did? But listen to, I listened to sermons. Yes, I listened to sports radio, too, because I like that, too. But I listened to sermons. I listened, and I heard, and I prayed, and I memorized. I would find all these creative things to do sitting in the car. 
that ultimately fed me and fed where I would ultimately end up. See, we don't, we don't always recognize that God's activity is real. Because when people sin against us, and in these situations I was not sinned against, but I'm saying there are seasons where we are sinned against, and we go, how can God, who is sovereign over all things, allow this to occur to me or to others? There's, we can see it all the time. We see it every day on the news. And we think, this is the same God, though, when Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, likely not knowing where, why he's there, what's going on, he later says to his brothers, for you, you meant evil against me, but God, he meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. See, God had greater purpose, and that's exactly what Joseph recognized, even though within the fabric of that purpose, in the mosaic of God's plan, it included allowing for Joseph to be sinned against. We don't totally understand that. We don't totally comprehend that. But what I realize is an activity of God, the fact that he's actively moving, that nothing can happen to me as his son. The Bible says I'm an adopted son of God, according to Ephesians. As his child, nothing can happen to me that, does not ha that happens outside of the counsel of his sovereign will. This is the best news for us. It is hard sometimes to fathom, but it is good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Brian and I talked about what you guys are doing as a church. He said they've been, you've been exploring Luke a little bit. So I wanted to look at a story in Luke that I think ultimately we can unpack this story and see exactly what I'm talking about and why Jesus would have us endure things, go through things, walk through things, and why it's ultimately according to his purpose and for our good. And like, let me remind you, let me bring us back a little bit. We need to have this knowledge of God. We need this in our lives. The bedrock, the solid foundation of the sovereignty of God, who he is, that he's, he works all things according to the counsel of his will, and that he's good, and that he loves us. Because it won't always be a great season. It will be hard at times. We would be lying if we were to say that Christians always have happy lives. And everything works out for Christians. It's not reality. It's not in the Bible, and it's not the world in which we live. And yes, we know there are people out there who would preach this false gospel, but it is false. The bedrock of our lives is a sovereign God who loves us and is good and will walk us through even the most difficult of times and has, actually has purpose in it. We read Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Before, the, before I started here, and I want to walk through that one more time because it's, to me there are six direct applications I want to talk about today that I think are anchor points for me, and I think they'll be good for all of us to meditate on today. So I'm just going to read it one more time and we'll walk through it. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, he being Jesus, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went out and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? So I want us to unpack this, and this is, one of the most joyful things 
that I get to do, and I, all of us have the opportunity to do, is consistently unpack the Word of God. And there's so much here in this one, you know, four verses, this one piece. There's so much here that I won't touch today, but I want us to touch a little bit. Coming back to the idea of Him making all things new, the activity of God consistently happening in your lives. The thing I love, the thing I love is the starting point where Jesus begins in verse 22 by saying this, these two words, let us. Let us go across to the other side. See, Jesus does not bring salvation into your life. He does not suddenly bring that into your life, bring an opportunity for relationship with him, and then say, I punched the clock, I'm done, you go live your life. And good luck. And do your best and gird up really hard and try your hardest. That is not the gospel. The gospel is a let us go gospel. You know, we mentioned earlier about going to Haiti. That is not a go by yourself. That is a let us go moment. When you come to school for the first time, when you come to college, Pepperdine, or any other place, or you enter a new season with your children or your wife or husband, it's a let us go. Let us go. See, one of the foundational keys to this story is that Jesus is in every season all the time with us. The Bible does not guarantee us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Bible does not guarantee us the right to wealth and riches. It does not guarantee us the right to comfort. But the Bible does specify one right. In John 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive him, meaning all, the fo- all followers of Christ who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He's given us the greatest right of all. It's a right that surpasses our citizenship in this great country. It's a right that surpasses our friendships. It's a right that surpasses even our family of origin. The right to be called God's child. It is a right restricted to followers of Christ. According to the Bible, it means he will never abandon us. It means he's a good father, so he won't leave us. He won't disappear when it gets hard. Even if we feel he's not there, he still is there. This is the right we've been given. It is the let us right. It's that Jesus is going to call us different places and go with us. So my second point is not only is he with us, he will often go with us, but take us to a place of discomfort for a greater purpose. See, the challenge that we live is that sometimes we, let, we often let our emotions dictate what we do in our lives. It's pretty, pretty normal for human beings. We live in flesh, and our flesh often dictates how we live. And so we go, we, can't, we will even use uh, phrases to describe like, I don't, feel, I don't feel good about that, or even say I don't feel peace about that. I don't want to get away from the fact that God sometimes says no to things, but we also don't want to just hide behind this feeling idea because sometimes God is calling us to be uncomfortable. And this is plain in the text here. When he says, go to the other side of the lake, he's talking about the Sea of Galilee, and he's talking about Gentile area, a place that would be uncomfortable to these Jewish disciples. As they journey into that land, we find that Jesus ultimately has this greater purpose. 
Because the discomfort is not just so we're uncomfortable, it's so we're uncomfortable and we depend on him and we grope for him and we see him do miracles in our lives. That's why the discomfort is there. But they see him heal a, heal a demon-possessed man and that demon-possessed man ultimately what? Tells the story of Jesus to Gentile followers and the word of God spreads. But it began in a place of discomfort. A place of discomfort in our Comfort, though, in that discomfort is that let us place, that God is saying, we're in this together. Jesus himself is saying, I'm going with you. Are we willing to experience and endure discomfort in order to achieve the greater purposes of God that he has called us to? See, the following of Christ, the relationship we get to have with God, is a limitless well. It's a ceiling that doesn't exist. It's going deeper and deeper and deeper. And if we truly desire to know God, we know that we just continue to go as deep as we can and we don't stop going. We don't seek that comfort as an end. That is the place. The Bible says consistently, consistently that complacency is an enemy of the follower of Christ. And comfort can be complacency. The third point we see here is the reality that the storm came. Jesus not only puts them in a situation where they're already uncomfortable. I don't want to go, um, I don't want to go over there. They, they, those guys, they, they, they like have pigs over there and we're Jewish and we're not supposed to be hanging out with doing that kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to go over there. I want to be here. This is good. That's scary. And then he says, yeah, we're going to go over there and guess what? Boom, a storm comes too. You ever been in a season of your life where it just feels like, man, I just got over this and bam, I get hit again. Or maybe you're already down and you get hit again. If you've ever been in that season of life, you have a very, you, you can relate, these guys can relate to you, you can relate to them. See, the Sea of Galilee is small, but storms happen there. But two interesting takeaways. The disciples are terrified and seemingly shocked by what's happening. Even though storms do happen there, they seem shocked, but Jesus clearly was not. He's sleeping. I don't know about you, but if I'm like anticipating a giant event, I don't tend to sleep soundly on my pillow. <laughs> Jesus is sleeping on a boat, can't be that comfortable, by the way, indicating and I believe reminding us that he's no way surprised, no way terrified, no, in no way shocked by what's occurring. See, the storms will come. The storms will come. One of the, I love the passage when, G, when Jesus talks about building your house on a rock. And in that passage, one of the things that always stood out to me is this idea that, but, and when the storms come, this is how the man who built his house on the rock, this is how his house did. But this idea of when they come, we're not living our life hoping, oh man, I hope they don't come. They're going to come. It may not happen now. It may happen tomorrow. It may happen 10 years from now. But storms come in our lives. Jesus was not surprised by this. See, the fourth point is a recognition that we're going to have times of fear in our lives. We will fear, just like the disciples who had Jesus in the boat with them in physical form, and yet still were fearing for their lives. And we're terrified. One of the mistakes we can make with the best of intentions is denying one another the, the opportunity to work through fear. We make silly suppositions that to be brave is to never fear anything. 
He never's afraid of anything. Well, everybody's afraid of something. Have a child and tell me you don't have fear. Have a difficult relationship, friendship, and tell me you don't fear. Walk through cancer with someone you love and tell me you don't fear. Fear is a reality. We face it. Denying it exists does not conquer it. Interesting about storms on Galilee, while they're common, they often happen unexpectedly. This storm, whether or not they were ready for it, whether or not they knew that they could come, they have, sometimes they would happen so fast you would, the fishermen wouldn't be ready for them. And we know that life is not going to be perfect, and we know that these things happen, and we want to be prepared for the suddenness of the storms, and the only way to do that is having a bedrock of your faith where you know the character of God, and the character of God being sovereign and good and always consistently active in your life, whether you hear Him or not. If you have that, you have, we have a shot at enduring these storms. We think of cancer diagnosis. We think of car accidents and job loss and, and life storms that blindside us. We want to react out of the core of what we know, that God is sovereign and, and good, but our flesh doesn't always co cooperate. One thing we can point to here, though, is that even though the disciples react and they're afraid, and they're fearful, and they're crying out. And Jesus is about to say, where's your faith? They still know where to go when they're afraid. They still know to whom they should cry out when they're panicking. And that's to be commended. Because at the end of the day, when we're fear, denying it exists is not the answer. Crying out to God is. See, the fifth point is our faith will be challenged. Not our, maybe, perhaps not our our core faith, meaning that we'll, we'll waver in what we believe, but our faith, meaning the ability of our faith to actually have governance over our emotions, that will be challenged when things get hard. It's interesting, in Matthew 8, 26, same story, the writer says, Jesus said this, oh, he said, why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. It's interesting because Jesus is uh, correcting them here. There is an element of rebuke. However, he's, he's not saying they have no faith. He's saying that their faith has not fully been enabled to inform their flesh. And what I mean by that is that they, we haven't, we, we struggle a little bit with this, where we know true what's true, and we say it to our friends when they're going through a hard time. God is good, and God works all things together for good. And then we deal with it in our own lives. And then we're faced with the difficulty. We're faced with the struggle, and, the, and, and we don't totally know how to react, and we don't have the ability to muster up this perfect reaction. And in those moments, we are to cry out to God, but our desire of our heart and a fully, and where God, I think, really wants to take us is to a place where our faith and that bedrock understanding and knowledge of the sovereignty of goodness of God would, would be able to overwhelm us so that those times, and you've had them, where you're even, you're even blown away by your own reaction, you know that it, that is the Holy Spirit actively at work in your life, giving you the ability it's called grace, and it comes directly from God. It is not something we muster up. It comes from God, and it comes from a true understanding of His sovereignty and goodness and the Holy Spirit. Our go-to is our flesh. We have to know that. This is the challenge of living in flesh. We set our minds on the things of the flesh rather than the things of the Spirit. But ultimately, Jesus still has His way. 
He's patient. He's long-suffering. He reminds us of the truth of the gospel and that he's in it with us and he will respond when we cry out to him because he does all things according to the counsel of his will. See, while we continue to make good and bad choices that impact our lives, we also serve a perfect God in heaven who reminds us that he is our father. The Bible says that we are holy and dearly loved, that we've been called, that we've been chosen, that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of Christ, of God through Christ. That we serve a God who will never abandon us, never leave us, never forsake us. See, our repentance and our growth is evidence that God is doing a work in us. When we cry, when we repent, when we want to be better, when we want to grow, when we're dying for more, that's evidence of God's work in us. See, we don't activate God all of a sudden when we repent, like he's sitting there waiting for us to repent and saying, I'll get involved when you repent. He's saying, no, he's quickening our hearts to repent. And so when we respond through our free will decision making, but we respond to that activity, that urging, that unction of God, we respond, we're proving and showing that God and the Holy Spirit are active in our lives, that he is actually continuously active and he is exactly who he says he is in his word. We demonstrate that he's active and we get now to participate in his purposes. Sincere repentance is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And we need these beautiful evidences, repentance and peace and grace in those moments. Last one, God's purposes prevail even when it takes a miracle. This is something I think we can never, ever, ever lose sight of, is that God is a miracle God. He's supernatural. He has authority over that which we do not. We enter situations that feel like we can't, it can't happen. It won't happen. There's no way. Well, here's the disciples. The Bible says they were legitimately in danger. They're, they're boat is filling with water, there's no hope. They're going to die. Except that Jesus has authority over all things, including the wind and the rain. Think about what that looks like in our life. Think about what that means for 2016. Think about the things that we face in our lives that we're told where we have no hope in. Look at the presidential election. I mean, these are the things where we go, okay, how can God's purposes prevail? Because Isaiah 43, verse 19 reminds us that when Jesus comes, he says this, I'm doing a new thing. This is the prophet Isaiah talking. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God, by his nature, does whatever he pleases, even making rivers in the desert. Rivers in the desert don't exist. Rivers in the desert is the miraculous a way in the wilderness is exactly the opposite of what wilderness is. There is no way. But yet God will do it because if it achieves his purposes, he has authority over all of it. Meaning he is actively at work to do things even beyond anything we can understand or comprehend. And this is our great hope. This is the gospel we believe. If we say we are followers of Christ, what we recognize is justifiably we have no right to dwell eternally with God. We cannot do enough good works. We cannot make enough good choices to overcome the fact that we are imperfect and God is perfect. See, perfection cannot dwell with imperfection because the imperfect soils the perfect. It means your church attendance. It means how much you pray. None of that makes you right with God. The Bible says we were without hope 
in our flesh. But God made a river in the desert, didn't he? He made a way in the wilderness. He sent his son into the world to accomplish what we could never accomplish. See, Jesus lived a perfect life, impossible, but not for Jesus. He died on the cross. He took on the very wrath of God and the payment for every sin that we'll ever commit. So now, miraculously, and yes, because of the blood of Christ, justifiably, we can dwell with him forever. He has justified us by calming the storm, destroying the enmity. The Bible says the middle wall of separation between God and man. And we see through the word of God that the plan of Christ was not a reaction, but an actively orchestrated plan by a perfect God to demonstrate his perfect love. The gospel, because it resonates with you, because it feels in here, it tells you that this is an act of love. Ultimately, that God set out, the Bible says, with the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is not a reaction. God was not inactive. God is not stumbling to think about what to do with Adam and Eve after they sinned. No. God knew that he would show the outpouring of his love through the cross. And see, that's the beauty. That's the miracle of the gospel. I want to close with a, with a story, a, a recent story, um, something that I got to the opportunity to do recently. Um, was I got to the opportunity to climb Half Dome in Yosemite. Anybody ever done that before? Any Half Domers? All right, we got one. Well, it's definitely one of those bucket list items. Um, and if I can do it, anyone can do it. I really feel that way because, <laughs> you know, I'm not in exactly tip-top shape. But I want I to explain, like, a little bit about that story and how I see this beautiful relationship between um, our walk and our journey with Christ and this journey for me. So Half Dome... Began, you begin, um, I was down in Yosemite Valley camping with my family. About 4.45, we woke up in the morning and climbed the first leg, which is a very short leg. It's about an eight-mile trip up, and it's all up. Um, and I'm not climbing the face, okay? That's next year. No, that's never going to happen, the face. But I'm climbing the, the, the trail. 4.45, you climb up. We climb Vernal Falls. Vernal Falls is the first one. Some of you may have done Vernal Falls. It's like the first, it's like a mile, and it's, 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 it's up. All uphill. I get about a mile up, 5.15 a.m., I'm up on top of Vernal Falls, and my quads are on fire. And I'm like, I got seven miles left. There's, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm telling you, it feels like these steps, it's like you're climbing the Great Pyramid of Giza. I mean, you're like, I mean, you're like a two-year-old trying to manage steps. I mean, it's, it's that hefty, it's that big, and I am not ready for this. But I keep going because the problem is the day before, my wife did it. <laughs> Okay, so I'm with like these buddies of mine, we're climbing, and in my mind I'm thinking, I can't go back to camp. I'll never be able to show my face again. Now she is, she's in better shape than me, she handled it much better than me. I have no problem admitting that, but I still had to do it. All right, so I'm climbing up Pyramid of Giza, the Half Dome. Midway through, you're, you're going up a lot. It's a lot of uphill, and you're tired, and you finally get to this flat portion. And you're like, yes, a flat portion. But somehow, in the mountains, this flat portion is covered in sand. I'm like, who puts sand on the one flat portion? Because now, instead of having a nice jaunt, I'm walking through sand in the mountains. I mean, was somebody, just, was somebody up there going, hey, you know, this is just too easy. You know, we, we need to add a little bit of difficulty level to this. Let's throw some sand. Like about, you know, two, three inches of sand in the middle of the trail, just to make it hard on these knuckleheads who think they can just do this. Me. 
So then I go up more steps. Then I'm scaling granite. Right? Remember, it's subdome. It's, 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 it's just up, still up. And then you get to the point and you climb these cables. Have you guys seen the cables? Ever seen pictures of the cables? You guys know about the cables? You, there's somebody put them in and like, you know, probably like 1600 and suck them into this rock. All right, and they're you know like this, and you're taking these cables. Luckily, I had gloves because my wife she prepares and I don't. And she told me she got gloves, so she's smart. Thank God. So I'm pulling myself up. You're hefting your body weight up these cables, and you're going up. You're dead tired. You're eight miles in, and then you make it up. And once you get up on top of Half Dome, it's like Disneyland. Everyone's happy. It's the happiest place on earth. Everyone's telling jokes. They're like, yeah, dude, this is the best thing ever. I mean, because you're done. You finally finished it. You're so excited. You look out. It's the greatest view of your life. I mean, it's spectacular. It's beautiful. You stand on this little edge. It looks a lot scarier in pictures, so you give it even more credit for it. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. It was well worth it. See, that's, that's what I think a lot of times we deal with in our lives. We go through these seasons where we're trudging, and we're, we're, we're dying, we're hurting, and we're not sure we're going to make it. We believe there's an end point, but we're not sure. See, I had the luxury of knowing there's an end point. We don't know when the end point is coming, but we believe it's there. And then we get up to an uh, area where we feel like there's going to be a semblance of something, something easier, and then it's sand. And then it's hard again. And it's a new difficulty and a new challenge. And see, through all of that, if we can come back to the idea, one, that Jesus is in it with us, that he's already promised to be in it with us, but not just that, that even though we don't know when that summit is, when the end of those cables is coming, God knows it. And he's got purpose in it. And he's, and he's in it with you. And he's sovereign, actingly, actively making things new with a greater purpose. Ultimately, that greater purpose being our relationship with him. Because as we go through these things with him in it, we just grow in, grow in our understanding of him, our love for him, and our connection to him. So we can have the worship team come up now. And what I want us to do, there's a couple options here as the worship team comes up. One is, after we're done with worship, there's going to be some people over here to pray. And I would encourage you, if you are in any kind of a season right now that you, would, you, want, you want to have this feeling, you want or your flesh to be overwhelmed by your spirit, then I would encourage you to seek prayer. But even now, as we worship God, let us reflect upon the sovereign and good God we serve and that God, he truly is consistently active in our lives. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to worship God. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you are constantly at work in our lives, that you are making all things new consistently in our lives. And I pray for everyone here, God, that they would have this strong understanding of the sovereignty and goodness of you, O Lord, that they would know you're in it with them, that you walk us through difficulty only to achieve the greater purpose of love and relationship with you, and that the gospel would reign continuously every day in our lives and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.